morning, guys. How are we doing? Good. A lot of good energy in the room today. I'm excited to be back. Uh, I, we've got a little uh, event that we're going to be doing on October 8th. We, we just finished a series walking through our grace gifts. We were looking at the five-fold ministry. Uh, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to do a, a seminar called The Five Voices. And we're going to walk through what does your grace gift voice sound like in your workplace. Uh, so we're starting a series today that's about work and money. We just finished a series that's about your gifts. And here's this crazy thing that we believe here. We actually believe that your work is your mission field. We actually believe that your work, where you go for your nine to five, is an opportunity for you to share the hope of the gospel over and over again every week. And so if you are a leader of a team, if you work in a workplace with other people that annoy you sometimes, uh, if you just want to find out more about your grace gift and think about how do you apply that in your workplace, October 8th, we're going to gather in the student room over there. I'm hoping we've got 20 or 30 folks around and we're going to walk through what your voice sounds like at work, how to work with the other voices in your workplace. It's going to be a really fun time. So I hope that you can join us there. We're starting a new series today. It's called Entrusted. Uh, and we're going to start, we're going to talk about work and money. And I know what you're thinking, especially if you're new, you're thinking, all right, the pastor's back, the budget's bad, they're trying to drain up some tithes, the pastor needs a new boat. Like, I, I don't know, I don't know what you're thinking. Like, there's all, anytime the church talks about money, everybody flips out because they think it's going to be this long guilt and shame kind of thing, and we're going to just shame you into giving your life savings to the church so that all of us on staff can get really rich, uh, and, and I, don't, I don't know what it is, but there's always this thought of like, I'm a little worried about talking money at church. I, I don't know that I want to talk about finances. So here's what I want to tell you. Uh, our fiscal year ends in October. We are above budget. We are doing just fine, All right? I am not doing this message because we need to drum up some money for a project. We are not building anything. We are not creating anything. I am not going to surprise you at the end by handing out a slip of paper that says, what's your projected giving for the next year? I'm, I, I promise, none of that, I may do that in the future. I just want you to know, that may be coming, but it's not coming in this series. Uh, I, I really have a passion to talk about the workplace. I really have a passion for us. Like One of the things that we've said over and over again at Grace Marietta is the evidence of our faithfulness is not what happens in this room on a Sunday morning. It's what happens outside this room the rest of the week. And so our heart is to equip and to train you to be followers of Jesus seven days a week, not just on Sunday mornings, not just when you're here at church, not just when you're gathering around, but throughout your whole week doing everyday life things. And, and a big part of our life is work. Uh, and a big part of our life is also money. What do we do with our money? How do we honor God with our money? How do we handle our finances? What does the Bible say about our finances? What does the Bible say about Scripture? So here's my promise for you in this series. There is no shame and guilt coming from me. All right? You with me? There is no trick at the end. Right? I did not invite you to my house to watch the Super Bowl to show you a Tim Tebow testimony video at halftime. Right? That is not what's happening here. We are going to have an honest conversation about money and about work. And, and, and we believe without a shadow of doubt that the greatest job of the church is to equip the saints to live out their faith in their everyday life. And so my hope and my prayer as we've been preparing this and working on this is that this would be an equipping series. That this would give you some tools and some tactics and some thoughts and some ways to think about your work and your money that honors 
the Father. And so today, I want to talk about our passion, our power, and our purpose. Let's start with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. If you've been around Grace Marietta, you know that we talk about this verse all the time. This is like the verse we spend so much time on. And it says this, for we are God's handiwork. Uh, some some uh, versions say we are God's masterpiece. Like God knew what he was doing when he created you. Every single person in this room, look at me. You were created by God for a purpose, and he doesn't make mistakes. He knew what he was doing when he made you, and he made you for a purpose because we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Everybody say good works. That word in the Greek is ergos, which actually means occupation. That's a big deal, right? Because sometimes we read that and we think, oh, I was created to do a nice thing for somebody today. That's true, but that's not what that verse is saying, right? I do think you were created to do nice things, right? I was created to maybe help my neighbor cut their grass, or if my neighbor needs a tool, I'm going to let him borrow a tool, or if they need milk, we're going to take some milk to them. Like, we were created for those kinds of things, but what, what the, what, what's happening here is this is idea of all of us, every single follower of Jesus, has a kingdom assignment, has a kingdom occupation. You were created to do something, which means God, from the beginning of time, when you were a little baby, when your mom was holding you, you were created at that time, there was a work that has been prepared for you in advance. There is something out there that God made you for. Right? There is something out there that you were specifically created and made for. So here's the reality for all of us. All of us have our occupation, right? And our occupation is our nine to five. Our occupation is how we make our money. But we don't just have our occupation, we have our vocation. Our vocation is how we make our meaning. It's how we make our mark in the world. And so we have this thing that we do from nine to five, but we also have this kingdom occupation, this kingdom calling, this vocation, which is this thing that we were made and created to do. And sometimes those things align perfectly. Like sometimes we are lucky enough that we get to live into and do the thing that we were created to do in our nine to five. I'm one of those people that's lucky enough that my nine to five job, what pays the bills for my family, is also my kingdom calling. I'm a pastor, right? I think there's others of you who are not pastors and that applies for you as well. How many of you would say, I think without a shadow of a doubt, my nine to five job is my kingdom calling? That's good. Uh, so typically, about 20% of American Christians say that's true. All right, 20% would say, my nine to five occupation is also my kingdom calling. That means 80% of us would say our nine to five is not our calling. It's not the thing that we live into. Uh, in fact, about 80% of Christians would say, I have no idea what my kingdom calling is and I'm not living into it. So only about 20% of Christians, according to Barna, are actually living into the calling that God has placed in their life. So obviously, this has huge consequences for us as a church. This has huge consequences for American Christianity. It has huge consequences for all of us because here's the reality. You were created. You are the masterpiece. You are the handiwork of God. You were created and made for a purpose and for a reason. And the brass tacks of it is this, guys. 
We are either living our kingdom dream or we aren't. And statistics would tell us 80% of people who are followers of Jesus are not living into their kingdom calling. We call our kingdom calling our purpose, right? That's our kingdom dream. So when we start talking around here about kingdom dreams, we're talking about what is the purpose that you were created for? What's the good work that you were created for? And what we'd like to do is create a culture where in this room, you can look at anybody in this room and say, hey, what's your kingdom dream? What's your kingdom calling? What's your kingdom purpose? And everybody in the room can answer it. I don't know, man. I'm working it through. I don't have it all figured out. But right now, this is what I do uh, in my workplace, and I think that's my kingdom calling. Or I don't know. I'm not sure. I, don't, I, I, I do this for money in my nine to five, but I'm, I'm doing garments of grace, and we're giving clothes away to kids on the weekend. I, I'm, I'm working at the school, and I'm blessing families that need blessed, and I think that's my kingdom calling. Like, the fun thing about our kingdom communities, walk out there and look at all of those different envelopes out there that name the different kingdom communities that we have. Those are all rooted in somebody's kingdom dream and kingdom purpose. That's the starting place for leadership in the church, is we ask you, what's your kingdom dream? What's the thing that God's placed in your heart? What's the thing that you think you were made to do and created to do, and how do we help you live into that, and how do we help you operate in that space so that we're not like the the 80% of us who are just sitting it out? You are God's masterpiece, created to do the good work that's been prepared for you in advance. Have you ever tried to use the wrong drill bit to drill something in? Uh, fellas, anybody? What, what's, what's the consequences when you're using the wrong tool for the wrong thing? Somebody shout some things out. Embarrassment. Embarrassment, <laughs> Embarrassment. yeah. Your, your father is ashamed of you. Right? I always, anytime I pick up a tool, I just feel my father's shame. Does anybody else feel that way? I, just, I know my father's ashamed of me because I'm not as good at all this stuff as he is. Uh, the, you're you're going to strip it, right? You're going to mess it up. You're going to make a mistake. We, we've got to figure out, like, there are instruments and tools, and Scripture is filled with that language. Scripture tells us that we are God's instrument, that we are tools in the hands of a loving God. And if we were created to do a certain task, right, this drill bit is not a hammer, right? If I start using this as a hammer, bad things are going to happen to my hand, to this thing, to, the, to whatever I'm trying to hammer in, right? A tool is made for a specific purpose, and so are we. We're instruments created by him, or his masterpiece, or his handiwork. We were created for a certain task that God has placed in us. There is a purpose on your life. And the question is, are we, are we getting into it? John 15, 16 says this, For you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you, so that you would bear fruit, and your fruit would abide. I chose you. I I created you for a purpose. I chose you for a purpose. I set a task out in front of you, and I'm asking that you bear fruit in it. I have given you a kingdom dream. I've given you a kingdom calling. I've given you a purpose in your life, and I'm inviting you to use the right instrument for the right thing and to live into the thing that I made you to be. It's no wonder that the church is frustrated sometimes when so many of us are living out of the thing that we were actually created to do. It's no wonder we have a hard time getting our teenagers to get excited about the church because we're trying to teach them to live into something that they're not called to. This is the beautiful adventure of following Jesus, is there's this journey of me discovering who I was made to do and coming really alive in the process. 
And that's true for all of us. And it starts with our passion. Because what we want to do is we want to connect our passion and our power to our purpose. We want to raise that 20% number so that there are less, there are more than 20% of our people actually living in to their kingdom calling. So on, on this bottom line here is our passion. And our passion is our why. Our passion is why we do what we do. Our passion is what gets us up out of bed in the morning. I love that question for people. What's the thing that gets you up out of bed in the morning? Two questions I ask all the time when I'm having coffee with people is like, what gets you up out of bed in the morning and then what keeps you up at night? Right? Our passion is what gets us up. It's that excitement. It's that key. It's our why. It's been deposited in us by Jesus. Like there is a reason why you are passionate about the things that you are passionate about. Like, have you ever been watching a movie or, this is ridiculous, I, I'm, I, I'm coming to terms with the fact that I'm a, I'm a feeler, right? Uh, if you have been around the church for a while, you know this because I cry about every time I stand up here, but I've always been ashamed of that, and I'm not ashamed of it anymore. I'm just, a, like, I just feel things. I feel big. I, I'm, I'm an emotional person. I, I, I cry. I show emotion. I get irritated. I get frustrated. Like, that's just part of who I am. It's part of who I was made to be. My wife and I went to the Killers concert on, on Friday night in, at State Farm. Brilliant band, and all the moms and dads were there, right? It was awesome. The, the, the median age was my age, right? We were like, are we going to a concert with a bunch of kids? No, we're going to a concert with a bunch of people our age is what we were doing. Um, amazing concert, but they have this song called When We Were Young. Great song. That, that, that album, Hot Fuss, is one of the greatest albums ever. I'm just going to put that out there, right? But they've got this song called When We Were Young, and it, and it says, there's a, there's a line in it, and it's all, the whole thing is talking about when we were young, and like thinking about the place you lived when you were young, and thinking about your childhood, and I'm looking around, and there's all these old people singing this song at the top of their lungs, and I start crying. Like, I'm just a feeler, and I feel things. I have these passions, and like, I'm looking around thinking, man, like, I just have this passion for everybody to connect again to that youthful passion that they had. Like, remember when we were young and we thought we could do anything? Remember when we weren't so cynical? Remember when we thought we actually could make a mark on the world and that mark could make a difference? Remember when we had this belief about what we were going to do and what we were going to accomplish and we were excited to show up to work in the morning because we were going to make our mark? And then we get older and we get more cynical we lose some of that God-given passion and excitement and joy around the thing that you were doing. The reason that you get emotional about certain things is because of your passion. The reason you get mad about certain things is because of your passion, right? It's, it's getting into political season. All these political ads are playing all the time, and I get to talk to people all the time who tell me all their political opinions, which I appreciate so much. Uh, <laughs> But there are certain political ads that make you angry, right? For some of you, really angry because you talk to me about it. Well, that's rooted in your passion somewhere. What, what stirs your emotion is always connected to your passion. Like, like there's moments when you're working and you get lost in your work. Have you ever found that space? Or you just find a sweet spot and you're like, I've been doing this thing for three hours and I thought it was five minutes. 
because it's connected to your passion. It's connected to your why. We want to help everybody discover your why. What are you passionate about? What's the thing that stirs your emotions and stirs your heart? We want our work lives to be connected to our passions. We want to think about it. We want to dream again. Where, where does your mind wander when it's just free? What do you dream about? What do you think about? What do you hope for? What are those things inside of you that maybe somewhere along the way have become latent that God has placed in you because he wants it to come out of you? God has deposited your passions within you. From the beginning of time, you are his handiwork. You are his masterpiece. And the reason you are passionate about the things that you are passionate about is because Jesus placed them there. Because he wanted them inside of you and no one else. I work with entrepreneurs all the time, people that are dreaming and starting new things, starting new companies, starting new nonprofits, starting new ideas. And, and the thing that I have people say to me all the time is, somebody else is doing this. Well, somebody else is doing this. Yes, but that person isn't you. God placed this in you, and what he placed in you is different than what he placed in the other person who's doing this. And so it doesn't matter if 50 other people are doing this. There's a unique passion. There's a unique power. There's a unique purpose that's been placed inside of each and every one of us. And when we live into that, we can make a real impact in the world. The second line here, the, the horizontal line, is power. We don't just want to align our passion and our purpose. We also want to align our power. And our power is not our why, it's our how. Right? So it's not just why do I do the thing I do. It's, it's how I do the thing I do. It's, it's what skills do you have? What are the actual things that you're good at? What are the gifts that you have? We just walked through a series talking about our spiritual gifts, talking about our five-fold ministry. Like, it's the thing that people look at you and are like, wow, you're really good at that. You, you can kind of do that. It's your unique contribution to the world. It's the thing that you do when you're at your best. It's the thing that all your coworkers come and ask you to do. It's the thing that everybody around you is like, you know who I need to talk to about this? You need to talk to, you need to, talk to Dean about this. Dean knows what's up. Go talk to him. Like you, it's the thing that everybody around you says, this is the thing. This is where you connect. It's what you do your best. I, I, I believe this without a shadow of a doubt, guys. We have a superhero problem in our culture right now. I'm talking about the movies. Right? Like, we've worked through all the main superheroes. Right? Superman, Batman, Captain America, they're all dead or somewhere. I don't know what's happened to them. They're all dead now. And now we're doing She-Hulk attorney at law. That's a real, that's a real show. That is a real show that real humans are watching. <laughs> Somebody pitched that, and they were like, I got an idea. Let's do a female hawk who is also an attorney at law, and let's call it She-Hawk Attorney at Law. And they were like, great idea, let's go. <laughs> We've got a superhero crisis in our country, right? We need to just start up, like, just wipe the, the Marvel. I know some of you, this is like heresy to some of you Marvel fans. Tyler Jarvis would be so angry with me right now. You need to wipe the Marvel slate clean and just restart with the main guys. Are you with me? If there's anything I need our church to be behind, it's this, guys. Can I get an amen? Right? Here's the thing. Can we get the hero's journey picture up here? This is the way stories are written in Hollywood. It's called the hero's journey. Uh, it's Joseph Campbell wrote this in the 1920s. And it's this idea that a character starts with this call to adventure. They have this 
supernatural aid and they have this threshold moment. And at this threshold moment, they're living their normal existing life and they have this threshold moment where they decide, they learn that they have a superpower. They learn that there's something that they can offer the world that no one else knows. And they learn that always through a helper. There's a Yoda. There's a guide. There's someone that comes alongside of the superhero and reveals to them that they have a power that they didn't realize they had before. They're mentored into that. They face a temptation and this moment where there's an abyss. There's this moment where they have to choose, am I going to live into my superpower or am I going to keep living as I normally do? And if I keep living as I normally do, Frodo's never going to get the ring. Luke Skywalker's never going to become the Jedi. Batman's never going to meet Robin. I don't know. Like These things are not going to happen if I don't step into this. And so they step into this, and there's this transformation. There's this atonement. There's this return. And then here's the amazing thing. Luke Skywalker becomes the mentor to the next generation of superheroes. Isn't this beautiful? This is how Hollywood writes every movie, guys. It's terrible because once you know it, you know it's going to happen in every movie all the time. Uh, it drives my wife crazy because I'm like, oh, here comes the mentor, right? Like, this is, this is what's happening now. Uh, this is real life. This is real life for us. Like, I think all of us are in this place where we're, we're just living. We're existing in the world. We're walking through life. And so many of us have not discovered our superpower. We've not discovered the thing that you were made to do, the thing that's been deposited in you, the thing that only you can do, the thing that God placed in you from the beginning of your creation and said, when this one grows up, this is what they're going to do. This is what I've placed in them. This is what I've deposited in them. This is why I put them with the family that they're with. This is why I gave them their mom and their dad. This is why I gave them that teacher in middle school. This is why I gave them that coach in high school. This is why I gave them that course in college. This is why I gave them this job to start with. It's all a process of us discovering our superpower. And how much fun is that? But 80% of us don't believe we have the superpower. 80% of us are just clocking in and clocking out, doing the nine to five thing every day and wondering why we're not experiencing any kind of adventure in our life. You know who the most boring people in the world are? Christians. They are. We're boring. We shouldn't be. We should be the most alive. We have an important mission that's been given to us. We have a kingdom calling that's been deposited in us. We have a passion for the thing that God has placed in us. And we also have the power and the gifts to do the thing that he's called us to do. We believe that all of you have a superpower, just some of you haven't discovered it yet. Acts 9.15 says this, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is the chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Every time God calls somebody, he says, go, I've chosen you. Whenever there's a problem in the Old Testament, God solves that problem with a person. Moses, go, I'm sending you. I've heard the cries of my people and I've deposited this in you. You are the leader that can lead them out of Egypt. You're the leader that can fight the battles with Pharaoh. You're the leader that can navigate the desert. You're the leader that can know me well enough to walk down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, but also know my spirit and my heart enough to love the people and stick with them even when they're annoying. 
I've deposited all of this. I'm sending you. You are the chosen tool that I want to make a difference. So we all have this kingdom dream. We all have a kingdom purpose, but we all also have a power inside of us. There is a how that you have been given that God wants to use. And some people are like, oh man, I'm just good at organizing things. How does that change the kingdom? Organize for the glory of God. I'm just good at cooking. What do I do at cooking? Make meals for Christians. Make meals for non-Christians. Make meals for people who don't have meals. Like every one of our gifts, every one of the things that we have been given and where you have power and access to is an opportunity for us to live into the beautiful things that God has called us to. So if 80% of American Christians aren't living into their God-given passion, power, and purpose, it's no wonder why we aren't experiencing revival in America. If you want to ask me why are we not experiencing spiritual growth, spiritual transformation, why is the church declining and not growing, it's because 80% of us are sitting on the sidelines, guys. Uh, I, I know that since I've been gone, that most of you have been sitting around thinking, you know what I need is more basketball metaphors. <laughs> Don't worry, I got you. I got you right now. I need some help. Um, Elijah, I need you, buddy. Dean, I need you. Caden, I need you. Um, let's see. Dante, I need you, Dante. And Jose, I need Jose up here. All right, I just stand right here. Can you guys just stand right up here? Right, this is my starting five right here. I'm the coach. Yeah. It's a good squad. Yeah, you guys should be excited about it. It's a good squad, and you guys should be celebrating. I am the coach of these guys and I'm thinking through how do I make this the most successful basketball team in the history of the world. We're really close, guys. We just gotta put some things together and we can get there. Now here's the thing about Elijah. Elijah is a lockdown defender. He is a dog. Do you know that? Nobody can score on Elijah. Nobody. When he decides to zero in defensively, no one is gonna score on him. So I need you to defend, all right? You got it? Dean's a little taller. Dean's a rebounder, right? Dean's our big man. He's in the paint. He's, he's got his hands up. He's a presence in the paint. He's a post stopper. I know he plays lacrosse in real life, but actually we're doing basketball here. He's a rebounder, so I need you to rebound, right? Caden is wearing the, the holiest basketball shirt in the world, so we already know that God's favor is on him, right? He's our shooter, right? I need him spotting up, and I need him shooting threes. That's what I need him doing. I need him shooting threes. I just need him making sure that when, when the spot-up shot is available, he's going to make it, he's going to hit the shot. Dante's our point guard. He's going to get us in the offense every time down. He's going to make sure that we make the right passes, <laughs> right? He's going to make sure everybody's in the correct place. And Jose is the greatest scorer in the history of basketball. <laughs> this guy is a walking bucket, right? You guys don't know that about him because you've not been out there with him. He never misses. He can shoot from anywhere. He can shoot full court, it goes in. Wherever he shoots, it goes in because the Lord loves him, right? <laughs> because of the favor of the Lord. Here's what happens. So I'm the coach. I know what each of these person's gifts and talents and abilities are. And as the coach, I am building the game plan around their giftedness. So I'm, I'm, the strategy for every game is not to have Jose be the best defender on the court because Elijah is the best defender. It's not to have Caden be the rebounder because Dean's the rebounder. It's not to have Jose get us in the offense because Dante's got to get us in the offense. 
This is the way it's supposed to work. The problem with basketball teams and the problem with the church is when 80% of us say we're not going to do the thing that we were made to do that helps the team, that team stinks. So if Elijah says, you know what, I want to be the rebounder. I'm big. <laughs> I'm big too. And Dean's like, I want to be the point guard, which every big man wants to be, by the way, right? Every post player wants to dribble the ball. Caden's like, I don't, I, I don't want to shoot. I just, uh, I just want to pass every time I get it. And so instead of shooting, he's passing. Dante's like, I don't want to run the offense. I, I, I want to be the defender. I want to lock everybody down. So I'm going to use all my energy on defense and have no energy left on offense. And Jose, Jose's just shooting every time he gets the ball, no matter what. <laughs> right? All right, go have a seat. Give, give a hand for my basketball squad. I think this is the real challenge of the church, though. Here, here's one real challenge. Every single week we gather together and we watch three or four people use their gifts. And we think that that's being faithful. It's not. You can't graft off of somebody else's gifts. You can't be faithful because somebody else is using their gifts. Showing up on Sunday morning and clocking in is not you living into your kingdom dream and your kingdom purpose and your kingdom calling. Let me break this to everybody. Your kingdom calling is not to sit here for an hour on Sunday and listen to me. I'm not that good. That's not your kingdom calling. That's not your kingdom purpose. That's not it. And so when 80% of us are not living into the thing that we were made to do, the team is going to fail. And what we've done is we've exchanged our kingdom dreams for the American dream. Let's just be really honest right now. Who gets the best of you? On any given week, who gets the best of you? Is it your employer? Is it your boss? Is it the dude with the corner office who can give you the corner office next to him? Or is it the kingdom? For most of us, according to statistics, 80% of us, we would say, it's my boss. Romans 1.25 says, they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creative things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Jeremiah 2.13 says, for my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've created cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. We've created our own systems that we live into and we find our value and our identity in. It's no wonder that in America, uh, all of us find our value and identity in what we do. Like how often do you meet somebody and you say, hey, my name's Ben, who are you? And they tell you their name and what's the next thing they tell you? What they do. I work for Delta. I work for Lockheed. I work for Grace Marietta. When's the last time you, you were in a conversation and the first thing they said to you is, my name is Ben, I'm a child of the living God and my task on this world is to preach the word and equip the saints to follow Jesus in their everyday life. My goal is to awaken the kingdom dream that's inside of others so that they can live to their fullest potential. We're living for a secondary dream, guys. And we're wondering why we're bored. We're wondering why we aren't satisfied. We're wondering why we're frustrated. 
And we've been talking about kingdom dreams here for years now, multiple years. And, and here's the two things that I hear from everybody when we start talking about kingdom dreams. Uh, the first objection is, well, I'm not quitting my job. And here's what I want you to hear as my pastor, as your pastor. I'm, I'm, I have other pastors that are my pastors. I'm your, your pastor. I've not asked anyone to quit their job since I've been here. I've been here six years. I've never met with anyone and said, I need you to quit your job. Even people that worked here, I haven't said that to. <laughs> right? I've not had that conversation. I, we have never thought that the only way to get access to your kingdom dream is you quit your nine to five. There are two options that you have with your nine to five. Either you align that as your mission and you start living in your nine to five as if you're a missionary and this is the kingdom dream that I'm going after and I'm gonna serve the people that I serve at work or I'm gonna interact with the people that I interact in my nine to five in the same way that Jesus would send me as a pastor to those places. Or you use your nine to five to pay for your mission. Right? Think about this. You get paid, you get a salary, you get money. Somebody's got a transactional relationship with you where you're showing up and they're paying you to do something and you're providing a service and you're doing the best you can and you're being kind and loving and you're following Jesus in that place, but it also is giving you space and opportunity to live into the thing that you've really been called to. Like, there are some people in this room who have actual wealth because of their nine to five. As a church, I like that 10% of that wealth. Does that make sense? We need wealth. We need money in the kingdom. We're going to talk about that next week. We'll get into all of that next week. But money is not the thing that God's fighting against. It's our hearts that God's trying to capture. And so we need you to make money. We need, the kingdom needs wealth. Like, I'm so grateful that there are people in this room who, who give sacrificially every time we ask who sponsor missionaries all over the place, who do more good works with their money and with their wealth than anybody who didn't have that money or wealth could do. And they do it because they have a nine to five that provides them wealth that they're able to use to, for the kingdom. Right? So we create a system where we're wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Right? We're wise in this space where we're, where we're coming up with the things that we need for the kingdom and we're living them out. The, the second thing um, that people object to is I don't have a kingdom dream. People say that to me all the time. I, 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 ben, you're a dreamer. You're an apostle. You're always dreaming about something. You're always in the future. I'm just a pastor or a shepherd or a teacher or an evangelist or a prophet and I don't have a kingdom dream. According to Ephesians chapter two, you do. You are God's masterpiece created by Christ Jesus in advance for a good work that he has prepared for you. You do have a kingdom dream. You just haven't discovered it yet. And my prayer and my hope, my number one goal as a pastor, guys, is not to draw a bigger crowd in this room. It's not to get more downloads on the podcast it's not to build a bigger building and have a bigger budget. My number one goal is to equip the saints to live into their kingdom calling. It's for you to walk in the things that Jesus has called you to walk in. All of us have a good work that has been prepared for us. And the question is, are we living into it? 80% of us would say no. 20% would say yes. 
I believe this, when we have an encounter with Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and begins to mentor us towards our destiny. The Holy Spirit begins working and moving and stirring and prompting and challenging and calling and inviting. It's that voice that is, keeps inviting us to do good, that keeps inviting us to follow Jesus, that keeps inviting us to trust him. And that journey is the lifelong process of each of us becoming fully alive. Howard Thurman said this, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs most is people that are fully alive. What the kingdom needs most, what the church needs most, what our community needs most is you to be fully alive, operating in your passion, operating in your power, and operating in your purpose. Because when you are doing those things, the kingdom of God is unstoppable inside of you. It's unstoppable. And man, let me tell you this, when there's a community of people where that's happening with all of us, that's when revival comes. Revival comes when we all start seeing our kingdom dreams. And just like we talked about in the last series, when we start to see the dream in others is not a threat to my dream. They may think about things different. They may talk about things different. They may be passionate about something that's completely different than what I'm passionate about, but I am not at war for a space to try and get attention to my kingdom things so that others don't need attention to theirs. There is plenty of needs. There is plenty of opportunities. And Jesus has plenty of resources for all of us to pursue the kingdom calling that's inside of us and no one else's calling is a threat to you. We can all walk in it. We can all live it out. We can all be excited. So I want to give you this one last kind of picture here. Uh, and, and I want you to think about your nine to five. I want you to think about your occupation, where you make your money. I want you to think about your occupational calling right there, your work. And so what we often do is we do our work plus our calling. And so we say, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to live my nine to five, but my calling is going to be somewhere else, and that's okay, right? I'm going to live my nine to five, I'm going to work every day at Delta, and in the evenings, I'm going to go out and I'm going to live out my, nine, my, my calling over and over again. That's a great thing. Sometimes we think about our mission at work. It's not just our work and our calling, it's our calling at work. And so there's, you're an insurance agent that is inviting clients to your house and having meals and, and sharing the gospel. You're, 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 you're building relationships with people. You're a teacher at the school who is loving students who need to be loved and is caring for them and meeting their needs. Like that's living out your mission at work. But what we'd love to do is for your calling actually to be your work. What would it look like if your work was your mission? You're a CrossFit trainer that's hosting Discovery Bible Studies you're a construction company that's mentoring construction workers. You're a barista that's having spiritual conversations every day. Like whatever that thing is, how do we make those circles not be so distant? So here's my hope for this series. One is that we become a little more financially literate in what the Bible actually says about our finances and what the Bible actually says about money. But secondly is that those two circles move closer together in some capacity is that we start thinking through our life as our mission. We start seeing ourselves as the sent people of God who are every day sent to a cubicle or sent to a workplace or sent somewhere, sent into people's homes. Some of you are knocking on people's doors every day. And that in that space, you can be the missionary, you can be the representative of Jesus who has a passion for what you're doing and a power that you've been given. 
and can walk into that and discover your purpose. Does that sound good? That's where we're going to be the next few weeks. We've got a couple different things coming up. On November 4th and 5th, we are going to be doing a discovery retreat uh, that weekend. So just mark the calendar right now. If you are sitting there right now and you are like, I have no idea what my kingdom dream is. I have no idea how to discover it. I don't know the answers to all of this. We would like to help you. We run these retreats quarterly. It's one of my favorite things we do. We just gather a bunch of people in a room. We look at your, your story. We look at your life. We look at that good work that's been prepared for you. We look at the problems that exist around you that stir your heart. And we look at your passions. And we say, what is God saying to you through these three segments of your life? And maybe he's revealing something to you. If you're somebody who's like, man, I've been doing the nine to five thing, but I hate it. I don't want to do it anymore. I hate my job. I hate showing up. I don't enjoy it. I don't know what I'm doing. Then maybe it's time to start rethinking. Maybe it's because your passion and your power aren't aligned with your nine to five. And maybe it is time to start searching, to start looking. Or maybe it's start to use your nine to five for what it is and say, all right, this pays my bills so that on Saturdays I can do the thing that I was made to do. I love it that we have kingdom dreams in this community that have had people who have left their jobs and gone and done crazy things, and we have kingdom dreams in this community that people say, I have two hours a week that's free, but I'm going to use those two hours for the glory of God, and I'm going to do the very best I can to live into my passion and purpose in those two hours. I'm not going to watch reruns of Golden Girls on Netflix. I'm going to do something with my life for those two hours. All of those things please the Father, guys. All of those things are good. So I want to pray over us. I'm excited about where we're going with this. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that we have been entrusted with much, that we have been given much, and that we actually have to hold account to what we've been given. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about our money. I'm talking about our gifts. I'm talking about our passions. I'm talking about our skills. I'm talking about our abilities. All of those things have been entrusted to you. And the question is, will we be good stewards of those things? So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would stir up in us a passion to follow you with our everyday life. I pray that you would reveal visions and ideas and dreams and possibilities. I pray that out of this series come some new kingdom communities. I pray that out of this series come some new awakenings. I pray from out of this series comes new ministries. I pray that there's new passions that are awakened. I pray that there's new positions that are created. I pray that there's wealth that is distributed. I pray that you, in your power and wisdom, who knows each of us, not just as a creator and as a God who is powerful, but as a father who loves us and knows us, I pray that you would whisper sweetly and kindly to us and remind us who you created us to be when we were young. I pray that we would lose some of our cynicism, some of our belief that we can't do it or that there's not enough time or there's not enough money or there's not enough ability or that it's too hard. And I pray that you would give us new eyes to see how you're working and how you're moving. We loved you, Jesus, and we thank you. In your name we pray.